If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to Deuteronomy 23. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, but we'll read a little bit beyond that just to get a, a feel for the passage. I thought it was interesting, and uh, just as you're turning there, one of the songs that we sang, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, talking about, um, you know, tasting and seeing this great love and finding this place where my heart becomes free. I had to jot down the, the lines, uh, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Um, that is very fitting in light of the passage that we're dealing with here this morning. Andy had no clue that we were doing this. So I take it as uh, just as a matter of faith that that's because God has a way of orchestrating all of these foolish men running around and putting pieces together in ways that we can't even possibly anticipate. Um, we have been in a study of Deuteronomy in our Sunday morning Bible study. Um, we are getting close to the end. If you haven't been in there, you've been missing it. All right, because we get to read about um, red heifers and curses being pronounced on someone that goes something like this, uh, uh, the house of him whose sandal is removed, right? Now, if that doesn't grab you, I don't know. So, but, right, there's all this stuff in, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament law that just stands out as very awkward at times, Sometimes maybe even borderline embarrassing, right? That, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's in the Bible. And you add to that the fact, or it's probably in part because of the fact that we're so far removed in terms of history, our setting and our culture, compared to where the Israelites were, that we, there, there's just this huge, a lot of times, disconnect when we read these passages of Scripture. But in, in my mind, it just becomes more and more obvious that turning away from, the, from Old Testament passages, even ones like we'll read here today, because of how odd it seems or how far away it seems to be from my personal experience, is just not the way to grow in your love and admiration for Christ. Uh, I think that what you find, and hopefully what you'll see this morning is, is that um, when we go through even odd passages of Scripture, that seem to have nothing to do with us. It actually speaks volumes about where we are and where we stand in our relation to God, uh, how it is that we're accepted, that we're reconciled, that we find peace uh, and acceptance. And so if you would follow with me, I'm going to start at 23.1. I'm actually going to read that first paragraph that you have, which goes through verse 6, even though we're going to spend our time primarily on the first two verses, okay? So Deuteronomy 23. Uh, starting at verse 1, I'm reading from the New American Standard in case it sounds a little different from what you have. We find this, No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. But the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. 
You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we ask now that by the power of your spirit, you would open our eyes to see wonderful things from your law. Cause us to see more clearly your glory, your goodness in the face of Jesus Christ. May we be reminded of the fact that the only way to find life, to find hope, to have any kind of future is to come to the end of ourselves and to take on the life of Christ in discipleship, in self-crucifixion, in whatever challenges we may face, because in the end, the reward is worth it. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. If you're... If you were listening as we read that passage, you notice that one of the refrains in that paragraph has this idea, or not the idea, it states, these kinds of people shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. These people shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And these people shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. I just want to take the first two categories and kind of see how this fits in the bigger picture of Scripture, ultimately how it should get us more excited and more thankful for the gift of Christ and what he's done for us. All right? So the assembly seems to be in kind of when, when the people, when God's people would gather together at special times for special days of worship. All right, we, we have maybe like Christmas Eve services would be one for us on Easter Sunday. Sunday in general would probably fit into that, but it's, it's the idea that when, when the people get together, a large group setting, and they gather together specifically for the purpose of bringing back to mind, rehearsing God's acts on their behalf, worshiping Him, offering up group sacrifices, right? That's the assembly, And God gave them specific times where he said, at these certain times of the year, you're going to come, you're going to have a holy assembly gathered together, you're going to come to me at the tabernacle or at the temple where I'm dwelling, you're going to come, you're going to gather around me and you're going to worship me. But in a passage like this, there are certain people who are not allowed to come and to take part in that high holy day or that big momentous act of worship. They can't congregate with the rest of God's people and enjoy the benefits of being the people of God, at least in that respect. The first, first kind of person that's mentioned is, depending on how your version reads in verse 1, is the emasculated. All right, parents, if you're in here with young minors, you can, you can rest easy. I'm not going to delve into detail. I'm not going to get graphic or anything like that. You're safe. All right, so just exhale, everything will be good, all right? The first kind of person who cannot come into the assembly, who cannot take part, is the emasculated. The first time that I read this, I thought, I just kind of assumed, well, this is referring to foreigners, right? These are people who in ancient Near Eastern cultures um, perhaps would have made themselves a eunuch because it was some sort of religious rite or observance that they did. And then somewhere along the line, they, they, see the, they see Israel, they become convinced that Israel is really the nation who has the, the one true God. They want to join with the Israelites, and God says, all fine and good, but 
because of their past, because of what they've done, they can, they can come, they can enjoy the benefits of being near God's people, but they can't ultimately be in with God's people. And the reason is because God reveals in His law what it means to come and to gather, to get near a holy God. A holy God is perfect, perfectly whole. He doesn't lack anything. And if you are one of God's people and you're gathering together to worship a perfectly complete and whole God, He, he demands that you be perfect and complete yourself. Therefore, someone who is broken in the way that this individual is in verse 1 cannot possibly come in and stand in this holy assembly representing the people of a holy God. All right, again, initially I thought this was all directed to foreigners, right? Except that there's a passage in Leviticus that uses similar language in regard to priests, saying these, kind, these priests, if they have these characteristics, and it lists off uh, everything from some congenital defects to skin diseases to illnesses and stuff like that, all the way down to using some of the language that you find here in, in Deuteronomy 23, it uses that in regard to a priest to say, if there's any priest whose body is marred or imperfect in this way, they can't serve in the tabernacle. They can't come near me being broken and imperfect, being disfigured, and take part in my holy offerings. So I think this works in one of two ways. One, yes, it does definitely speak to, ultimately, someone that we would refer to as a eunuch. So if you're someone on the outside of Israel... Let's say your eyes are opened, you see the truth, this is the people who really have access to the one true living God. You're willing to turn your back on everything, leave your family, leave your home, leave everything that is familiar to you, and you're willing to cast your lot in with the Israelites, even though you're not 100% Israel yourself. You're willing to abandon your old way of life, to take on a new way of life. You come in, and then you find out as you're being introduced to your new family that, well, you get to participate in this much of Israelite life, but not in this. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, okay, I, I know that I'm broken, disfigured because of something that happened in the past, but that's in the past. I've left all of that. I'm done with that. I'm, I'm wanting to come here. I want to worship here. And the people say, no, you're permanently disfigured. You're permanently broken. A perfectly holy and complete God does not do disfigurement and brokenness. We'll give you some benefits. We'll let you live in our midst, we'll let you live in town, we'll treat you kindly, we'll protect you, but on these big days where we're really going to celebrate our identity as the people of God, you have to stay home. Doesn't matter how much you desire, how much you want to be there, you can't come. But see, there's, 
there's the other side of it as well. So, so here's an individual who potentially gets shut out because of a, a, a bad decision that he made. Right? But then you've got the, the other reality that this would have been a, a, a danger, a potential danger for a native-born Israelite as well. So let's say that you were, you were born and raised Israelite from the time that you were a kid all the way up into adulthood. You have strived to keep the law in every way that you can. You have been devoted to the Lord. You have not looked or turned to the right or to the left. You have stayed on the straight and narrow your entire life. And then one day... With all the other men, you're called up in the battle to go fight these heathens or these pagans who are threatening the land. So, you go out. You obey. And in the midst of horrifically gruesome ancient Near Eastern warfare, you come back with a serious injury, something like is described in 23.1. You know what happens to you? You come back, right? You're, you're let in. You, you can go back home. You're, you're still an Israelite. We're not going to kick you out. But you now cannot come in and take part of the holy assembly when the people gather to worship the Lord as a nation. You get cut off. You get shut out, not because of any bad decision that happened to you, but just by bad luck. Sorry, a holy God has to have a holy people. A holy God demands that he have perfect and pure people. You're shut out. And then you go to the, to the next one, right? All of that seems, seems pretty bad. Then you come to the next one, to verse 2. And we go from the emasculated, the permanently disfigured men who can't come in, to a, a broader category, men or women this would apply to. Verse 2, no one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of the Lord. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter in. Now, say what you want about verse 1, right? This guy gets shut out perhaps because he made a really bad decision at some point in time in his life. That's irreversible. He'll carry the consequences with him for the rest of his life. This individual gets shut out, not because he made a bad decision, but because something bad happened to him in battle, birth defect, who knows. But verse 2, anyone of illegitimate birth, do you, do you choose your parents? Do you choose the time and the means, the circumstances of your birth? Do you have any control over whether or not you're here as a result of an adulterous relationship? You have any control over whether or not your parents remain faithful to each other, over whether there was brokenness in the family, over, right, your, your family history. You have no control of that. You can't make a bad decision. You can't even put yourself in a position for something bad to happen to you. This is done to you, ultimately. And yet, because God's holiness is demanding, is uncompromising, if you happen to be the product of an impure relationship, you bear the consequences of that. 
you can't come in, not because of anything that you've done, but because of something that your parents have done. But it's even broader than that because it's not just the illegitimate child who grows, who's going to be shut out from these special times of worship and celebration, but it's every single one of his descendants, his or her descendants from that point on, never gets in. None of their descendants, even to the 10th generation. I think that's sort of uh, figurative language, like we would say, to the nth degree, right? All it takes, all it takes is one sinful encounter for an entire line of people to be shut out. Why? Because they're not pure. You can't account for their lineage. You can't account for their paternity. God is holy. He is perfect and whole. He is also pure. He doesn't deal with impurity. That can't come near him in any kind of comfortable, peaceful way. Some of you, even though it, it may not be exactly like this, some of you know by your experience what this feels like, right? Sometimes it's, it's self-imposed, right? We don't necessarily need to feel like we've been shut out or kept out, but, but we feel that way anyway, right? Like everybody has those things that they've done at some point in time in their life where they look back on it and say, if I could go back, if I could ever do that over again, I would have never done that. But it sticks with you for the rest of your life. There are some consequences that you can't undo. There's some choices, some things that you do in complete ignorance, nevertheless, like the guy in verse 1, whether you did this in ignorance or not, when you come to see the light, the light exposes you for all your faults and all of the poor decisions you made. And the light can't be dimmed. It can't shine on you in a favorable way. But then there are others of you who have had bad things happen to you through no fault of your own. You've been damaged, you've been broken, you've been disfigured, not because of anything that you've done, but because of something that happened to you. Even as you strive to be faithful, even as you strive to be obedient, and you feel like you're damaged goods, and as a result, well, I'm only going to be able to make it in so far. You never actually feel like you're home, like you're accepted, like you're complete. And then some of you are just born into miserable situations, right? Or even, the other, even on the other side of that, some of you have brought children into the world in miserable situations. And whether it's you having a miserable home life or your kids being exposed to a miserable home life, you think everything's lost. It's all a wreck. I've been born in, and I was cursed from the very start. Or my kid is disadvantaged from the very start because, fill in the blank. Right?
So the problem that, that reveals itself in the law is that God, on the one hand, is calling a people for himself, but because God is holy, he demands that the people that he gathers to himself be holy as he is holy, which means holy, complete, perfect, and pure as well. And if you don't rise to that measure, if you don't rise to that standard, there are consequences that come. Do you see how, how burdensome, how oppressive God's holiness can be? Right? Listen, we, we sing songs about coming into the presence of the Lord. Good songs to sing, right? I, I love singing that. About coming into the presence of the Lord and finding your rest, finding your peace, all that. Good things. But do you understand how radically different that concept is compared to what you read here in the Old Testament? You, we glibly sing songs like this or casually sing songs like this, right? And never, or never, rarely perhaps, or not often enough do we think about the fact that by all accounts, I should not even be here with this song on my lips. The holiness of God, when it comes near to broken, impure humanity, is not a pleasant experience. If you, in and of yourself, must come into contact with, must have fellowship with a holy God, you will not find that to be encouraging. You will not find that to be an exciting situation. You will not find that to be a memorable experience. But this is who he is. And then a couple hundred years later, Isaiah comes along. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 56. And Isaiah makes this unbelievable statement that flies in the face of what we just read in Deuteronomy 23. Isaiah 56, let's start at verse 3. Listen to what Isaiah writes. Speaking on behalf of the Lord, we find Isaiah 56, 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, you see that? That's Deuteronomy 23, 1, right? Emasculated, disfigured. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. 
That sounds good, right? If, if you're one of those people who have been on the outside, shut out from coming in, to have one of the Lord's prophets come and say, hey, listen, there's coming a time when you're not going to be shut out anymore, and it's not just that you're going to be allowed to, to mix and mingle with the rest of the people. You're going to be brought all the way in, into the house, you know, where only the priest could go. You're going to be so accepted, you're going to be brought in really, really close. Here's the problem, though, with what Isaiah says. Isaiah doesn't explain how that's going to happen, at least not in this passage. What do you do with the fact that God spoke, the Lord spoke Deuteronomy 23.1, said, eunuchs, the emasculated, the disfigured, the illegitimate, none of them can come in. And then the Lord says, through Isaiah, oh, but there's coming a time when they will come in. Well, the two are mutually exclusive, right? You can't have both at the same time. Right? It's like offering someone a trip, a cross-country trip, right? Come on, we'll go to the airport, we'll hit the road, we'll fly to California, get in the car, oh man, I, don't, I left my license. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. We'll, we'll still go, right? You promise them a trip, promise that you'll get through security, even though there's no way you're going to get through security. Because the law says you don't have ID. You can't get through. I don't care how excited you are. I don't care what he promised you. You can't break the law. You have to have ID. What do you do with Isaiah then? Isaiah says, eunuchs are going to be welcome. They're going to come in. But Deuteronomy says, the law says, no. So even when you read in the prophets and you see this glimmer of hope coming in the future for the people who have been shut out, for the people who have been cut off, you still come to the realization that the law stands against you. And that so long as the law is in force, you are still barred from any kind of hope of something better to come in the future. We don't have time to turn there now, but if you, if you just want to jot down for yourself Ephesians 2.12, Paul makes this exact statement in Ephesians 2.12 when he talks about us Gentiles who were cut off, who were shut out, who were excluded from the promises and the covenants, and he actually uses the language without God and without hope in the world. Notice, too, that one of the dilemmas here for what Isaiah is saying is that when Isaiah says there's coming a day when you're not going to be shut out anymore, when you're going to be welcomed in, the promise that Isaiah gives is not that there's coming a point in time when you will no longer be a eunuch, right? It's not you're going to come in because God is going to de-eunuch you, right? He's going to reverse the, what, I don't know, what the, what's the medical language, Janet? Re, I don't know, reverse the eunuch, eunuchism or something. That's, that's not what's being said, According to Isaiah, you're still going to come in, you're still going to be admitted in, even though you're being admitted in as a eunuch, as a broken person, as someone who has been defiled, someone who is impure. 
And it has to be that he's talking about more than just this one specific class of people because he uses big language, right? Like foreigners, eunuchs. He's talking about all these people, anyone who for whatever reason, according to the law, is barred from having access to God. Isaiah says, but there's coming a time when the door is going to be open wide and you can come running in and God's going to welcome you. As fact, not only is God going to welcome you, he's going to honor you. That is an incredible promise in light of how devastating the requirements of the law are. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. By the way, as you're turning there, let me, for some of you who may still be somewhat comfortable, you know, like, you know, you, you don't feel like you're a broken person, you don't feel like, you know, you've been, you know, impure, defiled from the day of your birth or anything like that, um, let me, let's see if we can make it uncomfortable for everyone. When Jesus comes, right, like we're good church people, most of us. Our good church people, we're sitting in here and we're saying, yeah, 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 those guys are shouting, oh, but Jesus comes and he makes it all better, right? Except that when Jesus comes, he doesn't make the burden of the law easier. He shows it to be even harder than what we imagined. The burden of the law and everything that it does to keep you at a distance, to shut you out, Jesus says, oh, it's, it's far beyond physical blemishes. It's far beyond paternity tests. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says things like this. He says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. Right? All these people are hearing this. They think, Pharisees, pretty righteous dudes. Jesus is not saying that the scribes are not righteous. He's saying that they're not righteous enough. And then what Jesus goes to show is that the reason why so-called righteous people like the Pharisees and you, if you think that you're righteous and, and sitting pretty nice and comfortable and stuff like that, the reason why you won't enter in is because really what the law is pointing to when it's demanding that God's people be perfect, whole, pure, is not just with Matters that pertain to our material existence. What can be seen or sensed with the physical senses. It goes all the way down to the core of our being, the heart. Jesus says, so, you haven't committed adultery? Good for you. Have you ever lusted? You're impure. You can't enter into the kingdom. Good for you. You've never murdered anyone. Have you ever been angry at someone? Yeah. That same anger that you have is the same anger that the murderer worked off of. You're impure. And he goes through and he says all these things, and then just in case, just in case, they haven't gotten the picture yet, right? He closes off that portion of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount by saying this, Therefore, you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I don't care who you are this morning. 
I don't care what your situation is. I don't care how comfortable you are with yourself, how happy you are with yourself, how blessed you feel like you've been in light of your family history or what you've accomplished in the world. The reality is, is that if you are basing your standing with the Lord on anything that pertains to you, you are done. And the scary thing is, is that some of you are sitting in here and you don't even realize it. That is the worst place to be. At least for the person who feels hopeless, they know why they feel hopeless and they're looking for an answer. The absolute worst place that you can be is to feel like you have it all together and you're okay because, and then you list off all these reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with the holiness of God. So at this point, it really does not matter whether you see yourself immediately in Deuteronomy 23 or not. You're there. You're broken. You're impure. So how in the world are you ever going to come near? What gives you the audacity to come in on a Sunday morning and sit here and sing the praises of a holy God? Acts chapter 8. Let's start at verse 27. So Philip got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian, what? Eunuch. Think Deuteronomy 23. There was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of, the script, of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, Isaiah 53, beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? Skip down to verse 38. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. Think, think, think about what you just read. Here is a Deuteronomy 23 person who is broken permanently, who is disfigured, who cannot come near a perfectly complete holy God. Not only is he broken physically, he doesn't even have the right kind of genes or parents. He's a foreigner on top of that. So he's doubly cursed. And Luke tells us that this Ethiopian 
went to Jerusalem to worship. Now tell me, in light of a law-abiding people, what must that worship experience have been like for him? You think he was welcomed with open arms? You think he was able to get real close? He was able to rub shoulders with people? You think he felt like he was really one of God's people, one of God's children, based on his worship experience? No. He would have gone to Jerusalem, he would have gone to the temple precincts, and there would have been a clearly marked out area where he could come up to this point and no further. And he would have to worship at a distance because he's unclean, because he's defiled, because he's broken, because he's impure. And that's as good as his worship is going to get. So then he turns and he leaves, never actually being able to get to the place where he wants to get, having to stand at a distance, being stiff-armed and shut out according to God's law. He turns and he goes home, and as he's going home, he's reading in Isaiah 53 about this individual that God raises up, this holy God, who himself is disfigured, is humiliated, is shamed. And he finds out that the person who was disfigured and humiliated and shamed did that as a way to take on all of the disfigurement and humiliation and shame that belonged to God's people. He took it on himself. His eyes are opened. And he sees that what he could never get through serious acts of worship, what he could never get from an offering, what he could never buy, what he could never earn, is offered to him free. As a gift. And so he's baptized. He goes through this symbolic act of a broken person being buried into the death of Christ and being raised back a new man. He is now in Christ. So now when a holy God who does not lack, who is perfect, who is pure, when he looks at this Ethiopian, he does not see an Ethiopian eunuch. He sees his son. And he goes home rejoicing knowing that he has full access to the God that kept him at a distance for all of his life. How does that happen? Paul tells us. You don't have this reference in your notes, but we'll put it, up, put it up on the screen. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. Paul says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out, notice this, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Everything that a holy God demands and requires of you that you could never provide, that you could never, you could never live up to it, not if you had a thousand lifetimes. Jesus says, I'll take that imperfection, I'll take his falling short, I'll take his impurity, put it on me, and then also put on me the penalty that's incurred by that sin, by that impurity, by that deformity. 
And having taken on our shame, our impurity, our guilt, he says, and I'm doing this once, and I'm taking it all so you can nail everything up on the tree with me, all of it's going to be with me. And the only thing that's left is for God to give us his love because now we've been purified in Christ. Now we've been made whole in Christ. Now we are perfect and we are welcomed into the assembly. And you heard this. If you've, if you've been sitting here through the Hebrew, Hebrew series, you heard this multiple times. Probably just didn't think of Deuteronomy 23 when you were hearing it though. Who does? Right? But you, you heard things in that Hebrew series about drawing near, about entering into his rest, about entering into the holy place with confidence, not shying away, having boldness, knowing that we have access through our perfect high priest Jesus. And then towards the end of Hebrews, this is the last passage we'll put up here. This is on the screen. Last Last section of Hebrews in chapter 12, we read this. The author of Hebrews contrasts Mount Sinai where the law is given, where people have to stand at a distance. He compares it to Mount Zion. And he says this, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly. That's Deuteronomy 23 language, people. That is what we were shut out from. The author of Hebrews tells us, no, you're in now. Not because of what you've done, but for what Christ did for you. You have come to the general assembly and uh, in the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all, but not your judge anymore. The judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's us. Right? That's you. That's me. That's Edgewood. That's anyone who comes and takes hold of the gift that Jesus offers. If, if, you've, if you have that gift, if you found a perfection and a purity that's been given to you, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what Christ did on your behalf, Passages of Scripture like this should cause your heart to sing. Right? This is, this is good news. It will always be good news. But if you're here and you, you, don't, you don't know what this is, right? I'm, I'm talking about you've never encountered this kind of transformation where for all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your embarrassment, no matter what you've done in the past or what's been done to you, you don't know what it means to be accepted as if you were perfect and pure. This is good news for you. Because the offer for that kind of perfection and purity is offered to you in the same way that it was offered to the Ethiopian eunuch. It's a gift. You come... You lay your life down at the foot of the cross and you take up the life of Jesus on your behalf. So that from that point on, when a holy and righteous God looks at you, he sees his son covering you and he sees his son's perfection and righteousness and not your shame and your filth and your sin. And he gives it to you freely.
if you'll take it. So we're going to close now. I'm going to pray. After I'm done praying, Andy will come up. He'll lead us in a, in, uh, a song, hopefully for us to be able to reflect on what we've heard, to rejoice in the truth of God's word. If you're here, if you're here and you hear this and you, you recognize God's opened your eyes to see, I'm one of those people who are shut out. I have not been brought, I thought I was in maybe. I thought I was good, but I recognized that I thought I was good only because of what I had earned for myself. I need something that's better than that. I need Jesus. If that's you, I'll be at the door when the service is over. You come talk to me, I'll stay after everyone else has left if you want to talk and you want to find out more about what all this means. If you're already in, you're confident that you're in, but you still wrestle with guilt and doubt about whether or not God really, truly has accepted you through Christ, because we all wrestle with that. I'll be at the door, and I'll stay here after everyone is gone if you want to talk about anything that pertains to this. Because people to have this kind of acceptance and this kind of peace and this kind of joy is something that you don't want to miss out on. Oh, it's good. Let's pray. How can it be that a holy God would take broken, impure, sinful, rebellious, disgusting sinners to himself and call them sons and daughters? And to do so without compromising your holiness, to do so without changing your law, your ordinances, it would take a miracle. Father, we thank you and we praise you that that miracle, that gift, has already been provided in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That because of his suffering death on our behalf, he stood in our place, took all of our shame, all of our impurity, all of our disfigurements and defilements. He placed it on himself and all of the other decrees of your law that were hostile against us, that kept us away. All of that was nailed on the cross, was borne by him. And that as a result, for anyone who would turn and who would take the righteousness of Christ, it would be given to them freely so that they now can be freely received in the presence of an almighty, holy God. Father, we rejoice in what it is that you have given us as your people through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I ask now as we get ready to, to wrap this service up, that if there's anyone here this morning who has not come to know the security and the peace and the rest that comes with that kind of transition, going from someone who is shut out to someone who is welcomed into the most holy place. I pray, Father, that you would stir in their hearts by your Holy Spirit, that they would not be able to shake a hunger and a desire to get that issue settled. I pray that for any of your children who are here, who continue to wrestle with doubts, who continue to... Um, encounter attacks from their enemy or even self-condemnation for things that have happened in their past or even things that they're struggling with now. Father, would you enable them to see the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ and be able to find their peace 
and their assurance in him so that they can live with joy and gratitude all their days. Father, we love you and we thank you. Amen.